Today's episode of On the Shoulders of Giants is brought to you by Best in Vermont Tours and Charters. So, have you ever wanted to have a fun night out on the town with a group of your friends, but no one wants to be the designated driver, and you cannot all fit into a single Uber, and you're worried about DUIs? Our friends at Best in Vermont rent out their 14-passenger van and driver for you to do just that. Have fun, but have peace of mind of not having to worry about the driving. Best in Vermont offers transportation services for weddings, bachelor and bachelorette parties, birthday parties, corporate events, and any other type of event where you need transportation for a group of people. Their Brew Hop Brewery Tour Service also provides a fun, relaxing, and unique opportunity to visit Vermont's best craft breweries and get a true look into why Vermont is a leader in the booming craft beer industry. The bottom line is, they handle the driving so you don't have to. So visit them at bestinvt.com. That's B-E-S-T-I-N-V-T dot com. And now, on with the show. I'm Tinotenda Charles Rutanira, and this is the podcast on the shoulders of giants, where we get to chat with incredibly inspiring people who have broken the status quo or faced down adversity or taken the road less traveled and positively impacted the lives of other people. We get to hear their stories and gain knowledge and insights into how their professional and personal lives mix every day to create lessons and insights for others to follow. Because the only way to really grow is by building on previous discoveries. And only then can we truly see further by standing on the shoulders of giants. I've always been intrigued about how fondly my mother talks about her father, my grandfather, who was an entrepreneur. He owned a bakery in the 1950s and 1960s. I honestly have no idea how he did it in rural Zimbabwe, at a time when African people weren't even allowed to move around without a passbook that restricted their movement and there was also legislation limiting the ability of Africans to own or run their own businesses. He's passed away now, so I can't talk to him about the joys and the challenges of running a business but it doesn't dampen my desire to know what makes an entrepreneur tick, what keeps them going in spite of the challenges they face and how I can tap into that entrepreneurial spirit. I am really excited about my guest today. Rich Tarrant grew up with the entrepreneurial example of his father, Richard Tarrant, who co-founded the healthcare software company IDX, now GE Healthcare, when Rich was only three years old. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. Rich Tarrant Jr. started his career as a bondbroker on Wall Street, but by 1994, he had co-founded Amicus Healthcare Living Centers with his brothers to serve patients with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. In 1998, he founded Nationwide Healthcare Advisors, which helped facilitate sales and mergers of nursing homes, hospitals, and assisted living facilities. In 1999, Rich co-founded MyWebGrocer, an online e-commerce marketing and data platform service provider for grocery chains, 
and consumer packaged good companies. And by 2015, MyWebGrocer was the 350th fastest growing company in North America and is today one of the largest employers in the state of Vermont. Rich, it is a pleasure to have you. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Charles. It's good to be with you. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. So I always start my interviews with a look back at my guests' upbringing. Could you tell me what your childhood is like, what schools you went to, what activities you were involved in, and what life was like around the Tarrant household? Well, I, I can try and uh, encapsulate all that. I grew up here in Burlington, Vermont. I went to uh, Christ the King grade school, Rice High School, and then the University of Vermont. Um, you know, growing up uh, around our household um, was um, terrific, clearly. Um, my, I have uh, an older brother, a younger brother, and two younger sisters. Um, it was, there was a Things that stand out, sports, very uh, influential in our family. Uh, my father was an outstanding basketball player in his day, and myself and my youngest brother were basketball players. Uh, we both played through college. My older brother, Jerry, was a hockey player. He also played through college. Uh, my sisters played sports through high school. Uh, so there's always a theme of, of commitment to uh, a team, um, work that required to, uh, to, to, to be part of that and be successful within that. Uh, but, you know, it was probably like a lot of families. My, my parents both worked. Uh, my mother was a teacher for a while. My father was uh, starting a company. He had worked for IBM and then started his own company. Um, there was, uh, you know, there was the normal probably family things of, you know, uh, times are tight for a while. There was, there was no guarantee that my father's company would be successful, clearly. It's, that's not a given when you're starting uh, uh, a venture. Uh, but it was a terrific family, lots of aunts, uncles, and cousins, and uh, uh, really fortunate to have had that, uh, that upbringing. You, your second born uh, out of your, your siblings, uh, do you think that that had any impact on your upbringing and who you are today? Uh, being second born? Yes. Um, you know, uh, boy, that, that's hard for me to know. I, I'm not a scholar in that area. Um, you know, Clearly, you know, there's plenty of studies in the first, second, and third born, you know, and, and, and the effects on that. Um, there is a unique uh, element to, to my upbringing on some level in, in that I was named after my father. It's unusual that the second child would be named after the father, usually it's the first. Uh, so my father's name, Richard Edward Tarrant, I'm Richard Edward Tarrant, Jr. Um, so I think that was sort of unique. Uh, for better or for worse, you know, who, who's to say? My older brother was named after my grandfather, my father's father. So um, I, I think sometimes people thought I was the oldest when I wasn't. Um, you know, I think uh, we're only a year apart, my older brother, Jerry, and I. Um, uh, my younger brother's a couple of years behind me. I don't know if that had an impact. There's no way for me to know. But um, like I said, it was a really good environment to be raised in. Right. So... Everybody knows about your father, the entrepreneur, uh, whose company IDX employed over a thousand people at one point. Um, and I respect her privacy, but I'm curious, uh, what was your mother like and what characteristics of hers uh, does she give you as an entrepreneur? Oh, well, um, you know, my mother uh, has, a, has a creative streak uh, in her. Uh, uh, she, she and her, her brothers and sisters um, there, there's a lot of creativity uh, in them, more on the artistic side. Um, I will tell you, I'm pretty certain I didn't get any of that. Um, I don't have any of that 
those type of talents, I'm very analytical and math oriented, uh, which is really a characteristic of my father. Uh, you know, my mother uh, uh, did and has and continues to to create a wonderful environment for her kids. Um, you know, I mean, we you know home cooked meals and uh, you know helping you know five kids navigate uh, grade school and high school is 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 more than a full time job. Uh, my father, by nature of his business, by nature of him starting his business, had a lot of travel. Uh, so there was, you know, uh, many, many weeks and probably years, although my memory is not that perfect, where, where he would be gone three or four days out of the week uh, traveling to, to keep the business going. So, uh, you know, my mother certainly had her hands full, um, but, but I think she's done a great job. Yeah, great. So uh, let's get into you, the entrepreneur. Um, did you always have this running through your veins or was it something that you had to work on, kind of like uh, going to the gym or learning to play the piano or something like that? Yeah, you know what? Interestingly enough, th there must be some, and I don't, there's no study that indicates this, but there must be some correlation um, to what uh, children do versus what their father did, right? You, you read about uh, great baseball players, uh, their fathers were baseball players, or firemen and their kids become firemen. So there's clearly a there's there's a correlation there. It's what you're exposed to, right? When we were sitting at the dining room table, we were exposed to um, my father building his business, and and just by definition, you're you're going to pick up stories, uh, elements of that, the good and the bad. Um, it's a terrific resource to ask questions about, um, but I don't think there was any guarantee that that we would follow that path. But certainly, there's an advantage being exposed to it at a younger age and, and getting just that glimpse of uh, of of what side of uh, that career path may hold. How how much exposure did you get uh, from from your father to the actual goings on in his work and how he made his decisions and so on? Yeah, there was, you know what, you know, when we got older, you know, in the in the uh, you know late grade school, high school years, we have a more understanding of things. You can ask questions and have dialogues about, well, tell me about that problem and how are you going to handle that and where's that opportunity. Interestingly enough, we never really got into the gory details of what his business did. I mean, there were many years where where. I was, it was a little bit embarrassing because I didn't know specifically, yeah, I was software for hospitals, what I was, doctors and hospitals, that's what I'd be my answer. Clearly, be fine than that. But it wasn't imperative that, that we knew any of that. Um, the valuable elements came in conversations about problems because problems and challenges in business, regardless of the industry, had some pattern recognition to them. Personnel problems competitive pressures and problems, expansion growth problems. I mean, it's all, you know, sure, there's different verticals and different sectors and different business lines and different types of people, but but they really have an undercurrent that's the same. So there would be conversations about that. You know, I will tell, you know, I will, I will tell people that I learned more at the dining room table uh, than I did in college about business. Um, but that's just, that's just being fortunate enough to have someone who is blazing a unique trail that, that gave me exposure to things I would never have gotten exposed to in, in, in college. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, talking about the dining room table, can you tell, tell us about the concept behind Myrop Grocer and how it got started? Yeah, um, you know, Myrop Grocer, 
uh, was an idea, uh, not unlike Amicus Healthcare and Nationwide Healthcare Advisors and sort of other businesses that we've had. Um, you know, it's, and I'm not sure how this happened, Charles, but but when an idea is is presented or or opportunities, it, it, it sort of incubates in at least in my head for a while. Um, and so, you know, my web grocer was really a byproduct, believe it or not, of an article that, that I read about Webvan in 1998 or 99 about grocery e-commerce and how Webvan was going to revolutionize the uh, grocery industry. Um, and, and at the time, the internet was growing uh, rapidly. My brothers and I had had conversations about, hey, well, how can we leverage the internet for a healthcare company, for something else, you know? Um, and and this idea sort of stuck that why why recreate all this infrastructure when there's local grocery stores? In my case, it was Shaw's uh, just down the road. Why can't I just order my groceries from the local grocery store and not have not have to go into the store and just have them ready to go? Um, and so you know, it's kind of one of those ideas that you 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 come up with and you can't cast it away as a bad idea very quickly. It just sort of sits there and nags at you. Um, and that's sort of what happened with uh, uh, with My World Grocery. And then I was like, wait a minute, we must be able to do this. You know, what do the grocery chains have? Well, they have great locations that are convenient. That's why towns, that's why they're in the middle of all the towns. They have supply chain. They have brand recognition. They have labor. They have everything they need except technology. So why don't we just build technology to bring to them so they can provide e-commerce? And that was the genesis of my grocery. So when you have an idea, um, whether it's a new company or new product or even just a new feature, are you an instinctive kind of uh, person or do you rely on data or do you kind of just have that sort of pregnant with an idea kind of uh, feeling that something is bursting in you and you need to sort of let it out and uh, manifest it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, not, I'm not really a research every angle of an idea. It's it's more what I try and do is I try and poke holes in the business idea. Why won't this work? It's the first thing I do on any business idea is why won't this work? And I look for fundamental flaws, uh, systematic flaws in a business model. Uh, and if I find any of those, then I cast it aside and say I, that won't work or I can't make that work. Um, uh, once I've gone through that for a while and I can't seem to find a flaw, then I start getting into the, the more more detailed uh, elements of like, well, how would this business be built? What would you need to do to make this successful? What are the competitive threats or pressures or opportunities within a marketplace? Um, and, and there's an element of that exercise that gets done. Just you know, you, you may have a great idea that 25 others have already thought of, and you don't have a unique twist on it. You're not going to go very far. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, but once that exercise has sort of gone through, then you sort of put together models, and then at some point just jump in because you could do uh, analysis paralysis. I've seen that happen, and that's not how I operate. It's it's you know what the foundations look good. Seems like a good idea. It can be executed. Here's some of the key tenants to go ahead and do that. Jump in and start doing it. You're going to adjust and, and make alterations along the way anyway. Trying to figure them all out ahead of time is a waste of time, in my opinion, because it's not possible. Right. Uh, business is fluid. Industries are fluid, and, and you have to be able to be. Uh, you have to adapt. 
So you didn't have a technology background, I'm assuming. And so how did you know, or did, did you know anything about programming, the internet, consumer packaged goods companies, grocery shopping, any of that uh, prior to Myrop Grocer? No, none of it. And you know what? We didn't really know anything about operating healthcare facilities for Alzheimer's patients either. Um, but, it, but, but, but both businesses have been very successful. Um, you know, I'm, you know, interestingly enough, like I said, the business um, opportunity that, that exposed itself didn't require me to have that kind of knowledge. It was more of an understanding of, of, wait a minute, there's an opportunity here that no one has seen or maybe hasn't uh, executed real well. And, and then it's a matter of pulling together the, the assets that you need to make it successful hiring programmers or people who know code, right, and saying, okay, here's my idea, how would it happen? Um, hiring people that know the industry that you're, you're going to target. Um, you know, listen, I, I don't, I'm not actually very smart, truth be told. Um, I didn't get great grades, and I took a little longer than most getting out of college. Um, but the reality is, is that, is that the people here in Milo Grocer are exceptionally smart. Um, and experts in all of their areas, and, and my job was to get them together, lay out a strategy, but they're the ones that actually know how to put all the, the real mechanical pieces together. Was it easy to find people when you were first starting out uh, with this crazy idea about building software for grocery oh, stores? It's never easy to find good people and the right people. We've been really fortunate here at Mile Grocer and in Vermont, but uh, we're always looking for good, talented people. Um, you know, it's, it's, if you think about the concept of starting something up, you have to go convince someone that you don't really have a company and you don't have a real office and you don't really have anything except an idea and you have to convince them to cast their lot with you, probably for less than they can make somewhere else, right, with, in the hope of getting some stock options and whatever else for a, a longer term gain and convince them that your vision can actually come to fruition and that there's a logical way of doing that versus going to a more established company and having a full, uh, you know, um, support system and, and career path and everything else. So, um, no, it's never easy to, to get people on board um, with a vision. Right. So, how, how important is it to share your idea with somebody and get sort of their approval and or disapproval and uh, their insights into something like that? Well, I think it's always good to have sounding boards out there, you know, people that you can sound your idea off of um, and, and get their input. There's a lot of people that have done a lot of great things, and if you can network through to them, you can, um, you can avoid mistakes that you don't see coming that they have already experienced, right? And that, that's, so that is a huge value um, in, uh, you know, as, as you start the journey. The danger, of course, is there'll be lots of people who will tell you things like 95% of, uh, you know, small businesses fail or startup businesses fail, whatever the stat is, some ridiculously high stat. Right. Um, there's a lot of people that will tell you about, um, you know, be careful of this or that may not be a good idea for, for all kinds of reasons, some altruistic and some not so, right? Uh, maybe they tried and were successful. So you... You have to sort of balance all of that, take the information in, um, filter it, understand it, understand the, the view, the lens that it is coming from. Um, listen, I, 
I think it's always a good idea to get as much input as possible, uh, but ultimately, you know, an entrepreneur is going to follow their instincts, um, maybe maybe pick up good information from folks that shape their model. Maybe there's some relevant information you didn't know of uh, that completely eliminates the business model, and that's fine too. That's that's the point of that exercise. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So let's talk a little bit about your own psychology. Feel free to lie down if you are not. Um, you've been at this since 1999, you know, and as a founder, you're 110% invested, you know, and as a CEO, you're, you have to bring your A game every day. Um, how do you not suffer from burnout? And what is it like to have sort of the livelihoods of 300 plus people and their families dependent on not just every decision you make, but basically anything that comes your way, you're, you're making a, a, a strategic decision about how to move forward? Uh, wow, there's a lot in that question, Charles. Um, you know, listen, it's here's what I, uh, what I here's what I tell people who ask me to either speak at a, at a university for kids who are graduating that may want to go into entrepreneurship, start their own companies, and all this. Uh, and you alluded to 100%, 110% vested. It's way more than 110%. And and this is the thing that that I think um, people have to recognize that you cannot do something like this part of the way. You're either all in or you're not. Because, because um, the first, so, so here's what I mean by that. I'll try and give you a, a salient example. I had a gentleman call me a year ago, said, hey, I'd like to get lunch. I have a business idea, very successful in their current profession. Um, you know, and, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to. I've, I've, I've known them for years. So we're having lunch. And the gentleman wanted to start talking about his business idea. And I stopped him. And I said, I don't want to hear your business idea. And he was really surprised. He's like, well, what do you mean? I thought that's what we were here for. I said, no, we're, we're, what I want to know from you is why you want to do it. Tell me the why. Don't even tell me the idea. You're smarter in your field than I will ever be. I have no visibility into whether your idea is good or not. It's not the area that I operate. I said, but I want to know why you want to do it. And he sort of sat, he said, you know, no one's asked me that question before. I said, well, good, then, then I'll get a, hopefully a real good answer. <laughs> and, and, uh, and he said, well, because I think it'll be a good idea. I said, that's not a why. So why do you want to do it? And he didn't have an answer. He called me back two weeks later, and he said, Rich, you know what, I thought about what you said, and I'm not going to do this business. And I said, okay, well, tell me why that is. He said, because I didn't have a good reason why I was doing it. Hmm. And I got a great, I got a great profession and a great career. I got, I got, you know, the, the material things that I need. Um, I, uh, I enjoy my work, my current work. I get to spend time with my family. We get to go on vacations. We get to do all these great things. He's like, I just don't know that it would be worth it. And I said, okay, great decision. It's a good decision because you know what? You don't get there. It's too competitive and it takes too much out of you to go in halfway. Wow, that that was beautiful. That's actually power packed and sort of speaks to one of the questions that I've always had lingering in my head, uh, which is why entrepreneurs stick around because it's almost easy just to, you know, cash in at some point and then go retire on, on an island somewhere. And uh, <laughs> well, well, okay, assuming that assuming that your idea works and gets you to the point where you <laughs> can't cash in and go to an island. Um, you know what? There's 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 a um, 
evolution, I think, and again, Charles, as you all know, I can only speak from my experiences. People may have other things. I'm just going to give you my view. Um, there's a couple of elements, I think, that starts you down this path. One of them uh, is naivete. And, and I say that in, in, in an endearing way, right? Um, and, and here's what I mean by that. And I've, and I've answered this question before. If, if I knew all of the things that I would have had to have done to get this business on solid footing and the growth trajectory that it's on and all that stuff. In other words, the, you know, the ghost of Christmas past, the Christmas carol where, <laughs> yeah. you know, gets dragged around by the ghost and says, here's what, you know, if someone did that or if you could do that as an entrepreneur before you start down the path, you wouldn't go down the path. You, you wouldn't. You would, you would say, oh my God, I have to do all of that? I have to sacrifice family time and kid time and travel excessively and not get paid for years and I have to do all of that and then I still may not have something that is valuable and worthwhile and productive, you wouldn't do it. Right. Because nobody would, no one would take that gamble, but the naivety that you have, particularly when you're younger and you don't have a bunch of the, you know, responsibilities of family and the like, you say, you know what, I can do this. Um, and then I think there's an element of challenge to it, right? I think people like to be challenged and, you know, this is a very big challenge. So there's a lot of those things that go into doing it. Um, but then what happens is this, then you get on this path, and like you had said, uh, and then it starts growing and it starts working. And then there's always more challenges to make it bigger and expand the business lines. And then you have people who who, who put their confidence in you, right, and now mm -hmm. it's coming to and they're making uh, a great living and a great career, or their stock is worth well, whatever it might be. And then you have a, a sort of a responsibility to the families and the employees and the, the community and all the other things that uh, that that spring up because of um, uh, your success and uh, and you enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to be able to hang with it anyway. Yeah, that's true. Well, thank you for that. That's uh, really um, insightful stuff. Um, just wondering, kind of going back to the ghost of Christmas past there, um, have you made any big mistakes along the way? Um, sure. You know, I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to go back and dig them up. You right. always make mistakes. There's, you know, nobody makes perfect decisions all the time. Um, uh, you know, they're obviously because we're here and having this conversation, they weren't catastrophic mistakes. Um, but, uh, but sure, you, you try business lines that don't work. You waste some resources. You shut them down. Uh, you, you make a bad hire, and you know oh, that's not going to work out. I got to change that, and you know that's a drag. Um, oh shoot! I should have bought that company when I had a chance, and they were little. Now they're big, and they're a competitor. You know, so there's all kinds of uh, of um, decisions that you can look back on and say, "Boy, I should have done that better." And, and by the way, typically some of the, sometimes those stand out, but there's hundreds of decisions you make a day that were good or good enough, or at least decisions to keep uh, keep everything moving. But it's, <laughs> keep the on. It's, you know, it's not a perfect science. Uh, and if it was perfect, and if it was that easy, and there was a manual to do it, everyone everyone would, would jump on board. It's not. You just you adapt, you adjust, you make decisions. If they're wrong, you change them. Right. Um, and you just and you do it as quickly as as quickly as you realize you made a mistake, you change it. You acknowledge it, you change it, and you move on to another uh, onto another decision. Right. So, who do you turn to for advice during tough times? Um. 
You know, um, you know, obviously my other executives here, right? I mean, they're they're all part of this uh, as well. So this is, you know, it's never, you know, it's never a one-man show. Here's here's one thing that now that you've given me this form, I'm also going to say: um, CEOs get way too much of the credit, and they take way too much of the blame. Um, it just doesn't work that way. There is no one guy. I mean, you know, you know maybe Steve Jobs, right? But or Jeff Bezos, these iconic guys, they have incredibly talented people working with them. Um, so, so you know, we have great people here. So my execs, we sound off ideas. Um, you know, hey, how are we going to manage this? I will go outside. I have a board uh, that I talk to, um, private equity investors who I talk to, and then and then just my network of other executives that you just get to know. You know, you, you, you might sound off of them or grab a beer and say, hey, I got this problem. Did you ever face this? What did you do when you faced this? Uh, you try and pick up information so you make the right decision at the right time. Right. Right. So now that uh, MyHopeGross has been around and uh, very successful business, was there an inflection point at some point uh, during the growth of the company when you realized or even acknowledged that you had arrived? Um, you know, maybe you realized like, wow, people are actually like using our websites or using our software. Yeah. You know what? Interestingly enough, you, you never actually arrive. Um, and, I, and that may sound strange. There's always a next challenge. There's always something else that you have to do to either secure your existing business or grow. Um, and I've actually never looked at it as we've arrived. Um, and I think that that's also dangerous. If you start looking at it that way, you run the risk of getting complacent. If you get complacent, you get lazy, uh, you don't put in the, the effort and the work, um, you know, you, you might start undermining the foundation of the company or leave yourself susceptible to bigger errors or big problems. And so interesting enough, Charles, I've never actually thought of it that way. Um, you know, and which is, you know, for better or for worse, there's certainly plenty of people that have told me, hey, why don't you slow down? You've, you've already done it. And I don't see it that way. But um, I think that's just how some people are wired. Well, I, I actually like, really appreciate that response because uh, it is a different way of looking at uh, success and knowing that you cannot get complacent because the minute you do, somebody else is going to be eating your lunch. That's exactly right. It's highly, highly competitive out there and very, very dynamic. In the digital space we're in, things are moving at, at a pace that is incredible. And you have to be up on it, with it at all times. You have to be very nimble and flexible. Um, or you will just get run past. And as soon as you do that, then you, then you, you know, then you, you'll, you'll be looking back saying, geez, we're in such a good spot. What happened? In fact, just as a little uh, uh, period on that is, you know, people have asked me, well, what's your, what's your fear? You know, what's your biggest fear? You know, it's a sort of a cliche question, but it has some merit. And my answer to people is, my biggest fear is that we spent 17 years putting ourselves in this great position. We better take advantage of it, which is mm -hmm. kind of an interesting way of looking at it. It sort of infers that the 17 years was, was putting us at a precipice where we can do some really great things in our space, really grow the company, and uh, you know, and expand this worldwide. Uh, it would be a real shame to not take advantage of the position that we've collectively put ourselves in over so much time and effort. Right, exactly. Um, so I have a couple of um, sort of quick hit questions, uh, and if you could just sort of give me some uh, quick responses of whatever comes to your mind first. So, what do you think most people underestimate about starting their own business? 
the need for perseverance. The, the effort to put in here uh, to do this and to be successful at it uh, is is not something to uh, uh, to go in lightly with. It's, it takes an enormous enormous amount of time. And and you know I I tell people I, I in fact at lunch I told you about I asked a gentleman I said well, what do you like to do in your off time Oh we like to go sailing and running and then biking I said okay well all that stops now and he's like well what do you do? I said because you don't have time for that that will get pushed to the side and I know it's 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 just the reality um, and people don't always like to hear that but that is the case so I think the perseverance of of putting in the effort is is the, the biggest thing I would mention. Okay. Um, whose shoes would you like to spend a day in? Whose shoes would I like to spend a day in? Jeff Bezos. Yeah, I, I, I want to know what's going on in that head because <laughs> that, guy, that guy has built an incredible, incredible organization mm. and he did it without having to be profitable for like 15 years. <laughs> I don't know how we got away with it. I yeah. want to know how they do that. Great sales, sales skills or something, I think. Um, when you're not in the office, what do you do to decompress? Yeah, you know, uh, I like to spend time with my daughter uh, with her tennis. Um, you know, that's that that is a uh, a great uh, a great way to use time. Uh, I like to go hit golf balls. I don't get a chance to play much because it takes too long, but I like to go up on the driving range at night uh, and just hit balls and it. it Makes me stop thinking about business for a little while. Right. Do you uh, are you super competitive? Uh, I'm not good enough at anything to be competitive anymore, Charles. Uh, <laughs> that's the other thing that happens as you uh, as you go down this path. Yeah, I'm wondering if you let your daughter win at uh, any games that you guys play. Oh, I don't have to let her win. She kicks my butt. She's, <laughs> she's 13 and she's a very very good tennis player, and there's no chance for me to compete with her anymore. So. Um, <laughs> I, I now now I'm relegated to picking up the tennis balls after she hits uh, <laughs> after bucket. Yeah. Um, so if I run into you at a bar, what drink should I order for you? Um, a beer. IPA. Not draft bottle beer. Uh, an IPA, good or just you know something easy like like a Newcastle or a Heineken Light. Actually, I would have thought like you're more of a gin and tonic guy, but yeah, no. No, simple. Simple is easier. Good. Um, any plans for running for public office? Uh, I don't think I'd be very good at it, um, Charles. I think you know that's. Uh, uh, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not terribly thrilled with how our political environments work, um, and you know I think that there's probably better, uh, better ways to use energy to affect change or to contribute than uh, than to do that. Um, you know. Uh, I, I, I laugh because my my father ran for U.S. Senate unsuccessfully against uh, Senator Sanders. Uh, my grandfather and my father ran as a Republican. My grandfather ran as a Democrat for U.S. Senate in the '60s uh, and 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 lost as well. So we've lost on both sides of the aisle. Uh, I'm not sure I would do much to uh, to change that record. Well, third time could be a charm, though. <laughs> could be. Uh, but I got my hands full right here. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in closing, uh, this is a question that I ask all of my guests. If you could travel back in time and have a conversation with a younger version of yourself, what words of wisdom would you say to yourself and why? 
Oh, oh, that's a. Um, you know, I would probably, I would probably go back and and um, tell myself uh, to not worry so much without without losing the edge of the effort because sometimes the worry drives you to the effort that gets you the return. I would say keep up the effort, but don't stress out with the worry so much. Things have a way of working out, um, and and the worry wastes energy. Um, so keep up the effort and and be diligent on that. But uh, the internal worry that um, uh, and stress is not a good use of of energy. Um, I think maturity brings that to you. I don't think you know that when you're younger. Uh, but it takes a really, really bad toll. So I would probably encourage that. Now, here's the other thing, Charles. I would probably be unsuccessful taking my own advice, but uh, that is what I would tell myself. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I think if we all had that uh, looking glass, uh, like you said, none of the people that have become entrepreneurs would have uh, ended up becoming entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So if people wanted to get to know about you and about my web grocer, how can they get connected and learn more? Um, you know what? It's certainly going to my grocer's website. You can learn all about the company. Um, if there's folks that are interested in working in the environment that we work in, there's, there's ways to, to uh, um, I don't know, we have 15, 20 job openings now. Um, um, and, and, you know, getting to know the company, I think that way, um, there's, Plenty of wonderful executives here that, that spend their time um, out in the community talking to, to schools and youth organizations and the like. We do, we do a great, uh, great deal of that. Um, that that's uh, what I would encourage them to do. Okay, great. Well, Rich, it's been a real pleasure having you on my show. Thank you so much for your time and for sharing with us your story and your knowledge and your insights. I can only imagine the number of uh, family events that you've missed, the sleepless nights that you've had, hours spent sitting in airplanes and airports, and the number of meetings and decisions you've had to make uh, along the way, not only to get my web grocer off the ground, but also to keep its upward traje trajectory. So, and no one knows that other than yourself and can quantify that. But uh, what I do know is that under your leadership, my web grocer has become much, much more than just an employer. It's part of the fabric of the Vermont landscape and shouldn't surprise anyone that good things have been happening there for the last 16 years. And a business done well is a very powerful thing. So on behalf of everyone of the state, I wish to say thank you. And also on a personal level, I just want to say thank you for agreeing to be on my podcast. Well, you're very welcome, Charles. It's a pleasure speaking to you. You have great questions. Uh, uh, and thank you. And with that, we'll wrap up the show. Next time on the podcast, On the Shoulders of Giants, I welcome to the show Keisha Ram, a politician and member of the Democratic Party who holds the distinction of being the first ever minority student body president at the University of Vermont, as well as the youngest ever person to be voted into the Vermont House of Representatives. Who is like me, this daughter of one immigrant and one, one Jewish woman from Chicago, you know, it's a really complicated life story. And 
when I was a sophomore at the University of Vermont, I still felt that way, that it was more complicated than blessed, you know, that it was hard to explain to people why I looked the way I did and who I was and what my foundation in life was. And then something really amazing happened. Um, Bernie Sanders was running for the U.S. Senate for the first time as an independent, and uh, he invited a rock star senator from Illinois to come kick off his big rally at University of Vermont. Over 1% of the state population, 7,000 people, <laughs> came to hear Bernie and this rock star senator from Illinois. And I didn't know much about who this other person was, and Bernie's team asked me if I would introduce the whole event. They wanted a young woman, and a woman of color was very exciting because otherwise they had all men on stage. So you know, there I was kicking off this event, talking about why it's so important for young people to get involved in politics. And this rock star senator got up to speak, and he talked about having a father from Kenya and a mother from Kansas. And I thought, I have a father from India and a mother from Illinois. And then he said, and I have this funny name no one can pronounce. And I thought, wow. So do I. People are always trying to add a dollar sign and you know, all those things. Um, and then he turned around and he said, and Keisha, you made an outstanding presentation. Bernie, if you don't behave yourself, we may run her for the Senate instead of you. And it was the first time anyone had encouraged me to run for office. And in 2006, I thought, if there's a place for someone like him in politics, with a father from Kenya and a mother from Kansas, maybe there's a place for someone like me.